Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode. Um, I have the absolute pleasure today of being joined by Alex Ollie, um, co-founder of um, a company called ReachDesk. Alex, would you um, like to give everybody a little bit of an introduction into yourself? Of course. Hello, mate. Great to see you again. It's been a while. Um, quick intro on me. As you mentioned, my name is Alex Ollie. Uh, I'm the CRO and co-founder at ReachDesk. Um, for those who don't know about ReachDesk, uh, we allow companies to build deeper connections globally with the power of direct mail and gifting. So think of it as your one-stop shop that takes the head out, headache out of sourcing swag, sending direct mail and gifts so that you can increase your response rates, accelerate your pipeline, um, keep customers and employees loyal and happy whilst doing it in a sustainable and conscious way. Yeah, it's a real pleasure to have you on, Alex. And um, I can speak for Cognizant that we're very happy customers of ReachDesk. And so if, you, um, if you're hearing this and you're in the market for a gifting platform, then uh, definitely, definitely um, jump on their website and, and give the guys a message. Um, Alex, I'm going to dive straight in because um, we're, we're aiming to keep this down to about 25 minutes. So it's very sharp and snappy for our, for our listeners. Um, uh, and the first question all about what does redefining outbound mean to you? What does redefining outbound mean to me? Um, so for, for me, this one's all about the prospect's experience and making that great, like not good, like making it truly great. I've, I've been doing outbounding for God, coming up to 15 years now. And I think so many companies think about it as like your internal process and what you've got to do. And we often forget about like the customer and the prospect and, and what they're experiencing. So I think you need to show them you're not doing the bare minimum. And it's all about making your prospect feel like you know them and ultimately something that can help them. Awesome. I love that. And and um, one thing we're thinking about a lot at the moment is about alignment with other members of the revenue organization. Um, do you have any advice on that? I think like, you know, particularly at this time, perhaps like there is such an emphasis on team um and doing uh people are talking about doing more with less essentially um so what um you know i think is particularly poignant poignant at this time um yeah do you have any advice around around alignment and um and and communication around the organization i do i was actually on a a panel last week and uh, it was actually a room full of i know let's say it's about 100 marketers and it struck me that when I asked them, you know, how many of you share the same goals with your sales team? I think like two people put their hand up. Um, so that my first bit of advice, which I found was worked really, really well, and this could be really unpopular, by the way, is to share the same goal. And as I said, it can be really unpopular one. When I said this to this room of marketers, I said, what you guys should be thinking about is having a closed one revenue goal. It's the same as your sales team, because then you're ultimately all working towards the same thing. Um, so that's like my first bit of advice. And I do this in my previous company and then we've now done it at reach test where marketing has the same revenue goals. So if we're closing our revenue goals and marketing's winning too. And it just, it just drives the best possible alignment uh, imaginable. Um, so that's it. Share, share the same goals. You've got to have some skin in the game. The more that we speak about marketing, having MQLs um, and sales caring about closing the dollar, like you, you're just never going to win. Both teams are just going to be on different pages and just for everyone listening, um, marketing rolls up into me as well. So I, I care about all of that. So marketing comes up into me as well as sales. And I found that is the best way to, to align them so that, that um, we're not blaming each other and um, everyone can succeed. 
Another thing that strikes me, and I'm still baffled by this one, is very few sales and marketing teams meet on, let's say, a weekly basis and actually like have a meeting that's focused on collaboration. Um, I said this to a company about a year ago. I said, you guys just need to have like a stand-up every week where marketing and sales get together. You talk about where you're at. Are we in the red? Are we in the green? How are we pacing? And what can we do to help one another? And actually that person was on this, that came to this event last week and said that one thing changed the game for us because we started having a conversation. Whereas before it was just like, we care about this, you care about that. Let's do our own thing. So just like do yourself a favor and like meet regularly and talk about these things and have that, that mindset shift. Um, I, it's just so easy. Um, I think another piece of advice is to create SLAs. So if we do this, you're going to do that. And it sounds really simple, but I think a lot of businesses overlook this. And actually, we used to have something, uh, we used to have a ritual in my previous business um, where if sales didn't follow up in a certain amount of time, I think we'd put like a pound or a tenner into a jar or something. So you kind of gamified it. And also if someone complained about marketing leads not being good enough, you'd be like, oh, I'm not getting enough leads or they're all marketing leads are crap. You had to like put it into this jar and we, it was almost like a swear jar. So you create these SLAs, but kind of gamify it, have a bit of fun around it too. Um, those are just some things I think I've seen work and, and can uh, can be enjoyable at the same time. I love that. I love the swear jar, jar um, idea. Um, I actually, in my first company, I was late for work all the time. Uh, I'm a very bad timekeeper in general. I was, I was slightly late for this. And um, and I used to have to buy coffees for everybody in the team. That's what how my manager handled it. It's like, okay, if you're late, you've got to go out and buy coffee. You missed the meeting and you've got to buy coffees for everybody in the team. So it became financially very expensive for me um, and did fix the problem pretty pretty quickly. Alex, I want to go back to that first point that you made around um, aligning, kind of, um, I, I suppose, putting the marketing team on a revenue target. I think Cognizant shares a similar belief and actually, you know, we, yeah, our marketers are on a revenue target. Um, obviously sales are on a revenue target, but like, you know, recently we've introduced a revenue target to the SDR team, even like we're really taking that philosophy as far as we can, we can possibly make a customer success. I've got kind of like, re- like a revenue focus now, um, et cetera. One question that like, I always ask myself and I'm sure members of the audience might be asking is like, how do you motivate, how do you then motivate marketers in terms of, um, I'm trying to th- think, how, I suppose the the problem that I'm, you might see as a marketer is the fact that are they in control? Like they create the great opportunities. Are they then in control of whether they close? So how are you convincing your marketers that they're still, that they have an influence in, in terms of like what closes? Yeah. So one of the things that um, we've done actually is marketing controls the qualification criteria. It's not sales. And so it's this constant feedback loop that, that we look at actually weekly. And we're like, why are these deals not qualifying? Why is our close rate from our BDR channel and the revenue down? It's a very different conversation. You'd be surprised by how many marketers actually like having that conversation, where they actually feel more in control. They're like, well, what is it? Is it because this part of our segment isn't uh, in a good spot right now because of market conditions? Maybe we'll target less of that specific spot. So it might be like an employee count within your mid-market segment. Let me give you an example. Like a lot of businesses being impacted between like 200 and 500 employees, and that might be right in the, the, the lower part of your mid-market segment, whereas actually 500 to 1,000 employees is different. So they can start retargeting uh, their campaigns and their spend and reallocation. And then when we did that, our close rate on that channel from inbound specifically doubled. And so you actually give. And so w- w- when we say, look, we're not actually going to do this and sales, by the way, this is not what we're going to focus. Here's how we're going to evolve our qualification criteria. 
uh, we'd like to get your feedback on that, but also here's what we're doing to like really go after the segment, uh, th- those smaller parts of the market, we think we're going we're gonna to win and we're going to help you win there. Mm. And so no, you're not, not, no, not everyone's going to love this, by the way, and it is, it's an evolution. This, this has taken four to five years to get to a point where we just don't fight. Um, I'd say it's always been the good spot, but you can start to like, just think differently. Like the, the commonly held beliefs that we've held for help for so long don't necessarily just have to be there because that's how we once did it. Like get everyone on the same page. And if, if you're not getting your marketing team on board with that, you might not have the right people. Mm. And that's, that's the sad truth of it. Mm. Um, but that's okay. So as I said, change the qualification criteria in terms of who owns that. Like start to target a little bit uh, more specifically, particularly as we're going down more of an account-based marketing uh, standpoint. And actually the message I send to marketing is you're in more control than you've ever been. Hmm. That's really interesting. And you're, you've obviously been at ReachTest since day dot. Would, like, would you recommend this? Like, I suppose if, if going back, would you have done this from day dot? Or is this kind of like something that you feel like the timing's right? Or, you know, like, or would, yeah, or would you recommend it to everyone? From from day dot, our marketing team have had a close one revenue goal, at okay. least 50% from, from day one. Mm. Um, it's actually about trying to educate those guys because very few of them have had that before. Mm. And so we, we can fall back on, uh, maybe it was easy before when I had an MQL target. But that's just, that's like a non-negotiable of mine. So we've had it for, since, since day one. I would advocate for businesses in their early stages to get on board this now because you end up with you know, fewer scraps in the, in, in the later on down the line. Um, but I think everyone should be doing this. And I think it will become more of a thing in 10 years time. Let's aim for, I know, half companies doing it this way. That would be a win in my book. Mm. I think a really interesting and, and massive shift that uh, having the marketing team on, on closed one did for us as a, as a, um, us as an organization is we actually moved to this whole like demand model. So they, we scrapped, you know, and we like, if you're um, a listener to this, maybe you see some of our marketing content as well. And uh, their, their whole thing is like killing the MQL. Um, we don't have any gated content anymore and we're not, you know, and I, I think a lot of that came from them being so revenue focused that they realized that really just generating the MQLs wasn't generating the right pipeline. Um, and so that's what that has driven. And, and we can see in the, the close one, numbers now that it's been a super uh, effective switch for us so it was interesting that like that alignment has created such a like it's just completely changed the way we do marketing today as well um so couldn't agree more um the next i suppose the next point you, you mentioned there that your cro managing both the um sales and marketing side today um a lot of our um uh, you know there might be a, a huge uh, slice of our listener base that actually are targeting sales marketing and obviously the cro job title um or persona uh, i'm interested in kind of your advice for targeting some someone like yourself in your kind of role like what kind of what 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 kind of pains do you uh, like uh, yeah where do you struggle what um what how could they really how how could alex ollie be booked in for a meeting <laughs> How could Alex already be booked in for a meeting? Um, look, I, I, make, I make it actually quite easy. Um, for some reason, people overlook this. I, I think I've actually got it in my description on LinkedIn. It's like, hey, if you want to book a meeting with me, send me a gift. Obviously, like, I love gifts. That's what Reach Desk is all about. But don't just send me a gift. You've got to have context around it. Look, the, the kind of challenges that I'm facing are probably quite commonly known, particularly amongst uh, CROs, right? We talk about quota attainment, but doing that efficiently. 
Like that's it's not easy. Like, so to put it into perspective, a year and a half ago, for me, it was all about like just growth at all costs. Like spend, 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 higher, higher. Let's just get as much revenue as possible because the growth side of things is is really, really important. Obviously, it wasn't like a uh, a reckless approach. And now it's like, how do I do this really efficiently? Like I think about quota attainment. Let's say I've got a total pot of 10 million of quota I need to do and I need to get it to a certain percentage to do that efficiently. It's not an easy job. And so like, help me learn how companies are, are, are helping others do that in this new day and age. Um, it's, it's really important. Um, I'm always thinking about how I can give the board confidence that, that I'm going to hit the goals that I commit to because I've said, here's what I'm going to do. And actually someone cold called me two weeks ago and they actually just really made me stop because they said, how are you giving your board confidence that you're going to hit your goals? And I was like, um, well, okay, that's, yeah. that's very good. That's, and that's it, keeping it me like, up at night, right? Like, it, that's the it, sort it, of thing it is. Yeah. It is. CROs have to stand in front of a board. Uh, Dave, I don't know if you've been to a board meeting, but they, they can be at times when you're like kind of at like 90%. 90% is not good enough. 100% is good enough. Anything above that is great. When you're at 90%, it's like, how am I going to give them the confidence I'm going to close the gap on the 10%? And board meetings, trust me, keep CROs awake at night. Um, so that's one thing, that confidence piece. Um, and I think the, the win-loss side of things is, is just a constant thing for me. Like, you know, I think we've got good dashboards and Salesforce, for example, like, that help me understand the, our loss reasons and where drop-off happens on our funnel and why. But actually, there's so much behind all of that that it's just like this invisible of um, universe that, that so many people are doing smart things to say, well, have you thought about leveraging this data from your conversations to be able to then pull the truth out of it, which is like what Gong do. And then there are businesses that sit behind that that then say, we can visualize all of this so that you have it in real time. So you know what's working, what's not working. So you can plan uh, literally on a weekly basis. And those are the things that I love of like, okay, how, how do I really refine and tweak those things as to why we're losing and why we're winning? Uh, fast so that we can get to that back to that confidence that i can give to the board awesome that's really awesome um alex you're a you're a mini influencer on linkedin um and <laughs> i saw one of your posts the other day um that was really interesting all about um c-suite executive alignment um mm. would love for you to talk for anybody that didn't see it um i'd love for you to t kind of talk us through that and um you know just just like why i suppose that's the question to I'm interested in, in like why you think it's so important to have this um, al uh, alignment to, to keep, keep them involved. Um, mm. And is there any, is there any downside at all? Is there any downside? I mean, um, let me think about that bit for a second, but look, when I, when I was, um, when I was an account, an account executive, uh, I remember I used to think I could win all, all deals single-handedly, uh, particularly in the early stages of my career. I think a lot of the time it was my ego that got in the way. Particularly when my manager would be involved, he's like, hey, I want to jump on that next call with you. And you'd be like, why am I, am, I not, am I not good enough? Like, what's going on there? And then particularly when like a VP of sales and my old CRO, Thomas Gardner Anderson, if you're listening to this, you were brilliant. He, used to, he taught me so much about this. Um, and I remember I was like, I used to get so annoyed. I'm like, why? I, I can do this. I can, I can bring this deal over the line myself. And then he explained this concept of team selling to me and how sales is a team sport. It's not just about you as an individual, AE and your quota. And he was like, if you win, everyone wins. And it's not just like you and your manager, but there's, there's a whole team behind selling. And once I embraced that, I, my, my close rates went up significantly. And actually, he would help me with things. You know, he'd been in the game for a good 20 years and he had 
the experience that I just didn't have. Um, so it's like this, this whole concept of like using your C-suite to help you close deals should be something you embrace. And if you've got executives in your organization that are willing to do that, just leverage them, right? You, the things I've learned is you've got to be very clear with their role on the call or if they're writing an email, don't just let them get on with it because uh, I've certainly burned deals in the past by not being uh, in the know. Um, I also think that if you can if you can do that, you can also leverage executives at the other level. So this is you, this is your customer. Say, look, I'm going to bring in our CMO, for example, because you know we sell to marketers uh, a lot of the time, sales and marketing. Um, and so can you bring someone on your side and let's get that alignment at that level and give them the confidence that that person is there so that they can give you the knowledge, the expertise that, that, that you might need. But also if things do go wrong and they have a complaint, they can go straight to that level and things will get sorted. So it just helps. And I think Gong pulled this stat where it was something like 204% increase in close rate when you bring a member of your C-suite from your team onto calls. And I actually don't think it should stop there. Don't just think about the C-suite side of things. Think about your CS team, lots of other players uh, who can help bring um, deals across the finish line. But don't underestimate the power of um, having C-suite on deals. I know we as salespeople have big egos and we want to ring the gong and everything, but trust me, it will help. Love that. Really love that. Um, I'm going to talk about SDRs, as I love SDRs so much, as you know, Alex. I love um, SDRs too. And you're a fellow SDR lover. You were an SDR. You you almost demoted yourself for a bit to an SDR. I remember Promotion, that mate. Promotion all Promotion. the way. Okay, cool. All right. Um, but yeah, I wanted to... Um, okay, so recently I saw a Josh Braun um, post. And I've spoken about it a couple of times. So if anybody's listening and they've heard me talk about this, I apologize. But it really... Um, I think Josh Braun's amazing, um, but one he basically spoke about the important of personal uh, the the best email that he's ever received and the importance of personalization, and he then went on to describe how he had this foot condition and he posted about this foot condition or he mentioned it on a post and how someone had emailed him talking saying that he also had this foot condition and gave him advice on how to fix that foot condition. Um, now, as much as brilliant as it was, I've I actually felt that it was, and again, Josh Braun's amazing, and and I think does um uh, like add so much value to, to to the SDR community, um, and I would recommend anybody following. But I felt in that particular case, it wasn't super actionable, unless mm. so happened, unless one of your prospects so happened to, um have some condition that you also have, and you've got some niche advice for it. So, which I th- which I feel like is is unlikely. Um, and what I'm really interested in, I think everybody understands the value of personalization and, and relevance and making stuff super relevant, but it's the, you know, we've got 75 SDRs here at Cognizant. I'm interested in like how to do that scale, maybe any advice for like things, uh, like uh, things that either, I suppose, individual sales, uh, SDRs or, um, SDR management can implement to, to, yeah, um, to help be as efficient as possible at personalizing um when reaching out to, to the masses mm, okay yeah look the josh Braun example is a tricky one because look, if you were selling foot cream for example then, then you're in the, you're in the money but okay. i can't imagine that, that you're going to be um hitting up that many people via linkedin uh, but look, i think look, you've got to get back to the basics for me when it comes to personalization because everyone's trying to achieve personalization it means so many different things uh, this stems from this foundation of just show me you know me. Like as the prospect, I want you to show me that you know me. Um, if your SDRs don't understand their prospects, don't bother. Just don't bother. 
um, and take a step back for a second, think about the definition of personalization. It's the act of tailoring an experience or communication uh, based on information you've learned about them as an individual. And so you asked about scaling this. We teach three by three, which is in three minutes, how can you research something on the company, the contact or a compelling event, either about that individual or, or their company. And you can find that literally in three minutes. And you know, Cognizant is a great example of a modern day tool that can allow you to leverage a lot of that, that data to speed up the research. I appreciate the shout and, out. And look, it, it, it's great that we're, you, you gave us a shout out, but I mean this, you know, we're a very happy Cognizant customer too. Um, so accelerate the process using data, obviously, but three by three is, is, is a really effective one where as I said, company contact compelling event in three minutes, find that data that's going to allow you to personalize. If you don't even bother doing that, you're not even doing, um, the basics. We've actually found a, a way of using chat GPT, which we're not going to talk about in a great length because it doesn't warrant it just yet. As to that, how you can accelerate that a little bit further. Um, and then like Chris Voss talks a lot about uh, this, this concept of making a, uh, a first impression being essential. He says that you've got seven seconds to make a, a good first impression. And from, you asked about sales um, SDR managers, like, teach this to your team. Uh, they cannot just like bulldoze their way through eight emails, hoping it's going to work. That first impression is critical. So personalization at that initial step is, is key. And I'll give you an example. But think about the emails that you write. I received so many emails, I reckon, less than 1% of them personalized the first line, particularly one that I can read on my mobile or my cell phone. Um, and so like, you've got to think about all those opportunities, those small snapshots that as a prospect that you might see. So flip it, first 14 words of your email, focus on that prospect, what you found in the three by three. Same for cold calls as well, like pattern interrupts. It's all about making your first impression and doing your research so that you can um, show them you know them. Now, getting back to that Josh Braun example, by the way, I'm not sure what was in it for me, and I call this WIFM, what's in it for me. This is the bit where you have to connect the dots. And this is the bit that most teams find the hardest. They've done all this research, uh, they've got all these channels that they're communicating on, they've done, they've written really good openers to capture someone's attention, made a really good first impression, but they don't say, okay, well, here's how I'm gonna help you. Like, what's in it for me? I told you about my challenges as a CRO earlier. Um, so if I called you up and said, hey, Dave, Congrats on your success scaling Cognizant from zero to 50 million. I think you guys are probably a bit beyond that now. Uh, and growing the, um, the SDR function from ground up. Uh, I'm calling because we have a solution that helps companies like SAP, uh, 3X, something random that doesn't apply to you, right? Because I'm just going to talk about SAP and something random. Whereas if I connected the dots and I said the first line was the same, but instead I said perhaps something like, hey, look, the reason why I'm calling is because SDR leaders at fast growing companies like Cognizant often struggle with I don't know, one of the following. They find it harder to generate responses from core prospects and key accounts or see high no-show rates, which hurts their ability to convert meetings into qualified pipeline. Do either of those resonate with you? So rather than this sort of like dumping that we're doing on people of like, here's what I want to say to you, you kind of give them the options and the challenges and you teach your team to understand the personas and their challenges. And then you have a conversation about it. And it's a very scalable way of, of, of doing things really i absolutely love that i think um uh that's a very practical piece of advice because i know so many uh sdrs or salespeople in general are probably starting their call by just naming the biggest company that they've got on their books when actually like their use case is going to be entirely different from a startup who they they might actually be targeting and sending that message to so uh making it relevant as possible i've got um quite a funny anecdote from one member of my team who um used to exclusively target um individuals in the uk and the way he did it he, is he used to go on linkedin work out what university they went to and then just search for the local pub 
and then just and this is a bit naughty but he used to just <laughs> claim that he used to he went to that university as well and spent many a good night in that local pub and that was just like a conversation started now it's a little bit naughty because uh, it was a white lie and, and he had to be able to back it up from there but um it certainly stood out because it was at least relevant in the sense that um they're um uh you know you're you you're reaching out to someone talking about something you're showing that you know me right it's that show show me that you know me um statement that okay I've, at least i've looked up where you've where you've been um to university um slack deal rooms you wrote wrote a post all around slack deal rooms mm. um can you um yeah can you tell us about that at all because uh, i'm sure there's lots of people out, out there using slack i've been asked so much about this one it surprised me actually look th- this was really simple I found that like as, as companies grow, you know, we grew from like zero to like 300 people in like 18, 24 months, something like that. So it was like communication. And so end of the quarter, there was so many things flying around. And I realized that if you just wait for everything to be in a ticketing process, it slows down. So we built a deal, deal room in Slack that connects the Salesforce. And we have everyone from like the CFO, legal managers, uh, CS, like CS leadership in there. And it's just basically like a deal updates triggered from Salesforce saying it's moved into this stage. And then someone can ping and say, I really need help. Can Alex jump on this call because it's about this? And so you get that everyone gets the visibility of stuff moving forward, but you just have a conversation about the things that you need help with. And so I kind of just got rid of a lot of the processes that were just doing my head in so that we could speed things up. And everyone was like, that was one of the best things we did because we weren't waiting weeks and weeks for stuff to happen. We were working, waiting like, minutes sometimes just to get that small thing done but because it's all linked to salesforce it still gets tracked in there we also get the updates back uh, as well so everyone won Mm, this is super tactical but do you do you do it for any stage of the opportunity or is it it no no anything after so it's like proposal legal yeah i was just about to say that sounds super noisy at at stages Mm. if you're gonna do it for the whole opportunity but that makes that makes total sense that's uh i love that i think um i'm gonna need to hit up john after this and and kind of make sure that he's seen your post um Okay, final one before we wrap up, because I know um, we're, we're a little short. I've already taken more time um, than I originally asked for from you. Um, you've, um, you spoke in a post recently about how uh, reps can offer value prompts uh, through asking the question, can I make a recommendation? I loved it. Um, can, you, um, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, I think, I think again, a lot of the, some, some of the stuff that I put on LinkedIn, uh, or other social uh, platforms is because of like reactions to things I've seen. I think this one was sparked by uh, someone was selling to me at the time. Um, and they've done such a good job, but they got all the way to the, to the pricing stage and they basically gone, right, you're in the hundred K package. I was like, and that was it. It was like silence. They'd obviously been taught to start like with the biggest, biggest number and then try and negotiate me down. And I've always hated this because it can just like, it can just put people off. And you know what the number one thing that most customers or prospects uh, value the most from salespeople is active listening. They want you to show that you've listened to them. And so it's really simple. Things like, can I make a recommendation? Can It's one of the most, most used questions, by the way, it can fold its way into so many things. So for pricing, for example, you've, I've told you X, Y, and Z, you should be able to tailor what you're proposing that's going to make sense for me I might be your smallest package. Deal with it. Don't, let's have a conversation about how we're going to grow into the biggest one. But all reps should, before they show pricing, say, can I make a recommendation? Right? Give me permission to be your consultant, to be your advisor and say, here's where I think you guys should start. And sometimes I say this to my team, like, oh my God, we've got like a massive, massive company. It might be like a Google or something. And actually, we might want to start them really small. 
And so I said, kind of make a recommendation based on what you've told me, you're actually in our starter package. Um, and here's why. Then you can have the right to have a conversation about how we're going to grow this together, for example, if that's, if that's your motion. But it can be the same as like a cold call. Can I make a recommendation? I recommend we meet with one of my account executives. Obviously, you get their buy-in first. I'm rushing here. Like, can I make a recommendation? Yeah, sure. My suggestion here is actually, I think we can be a really good fit for you. And here's why. These three reasons. So why don't we jump on a call tomorrow? Uh, to take you through X, Y, and Z. Specifically, I'm going to do a shortly tailored demo, set up the agenda, uh, and I'm going to bring someone who's going to give you uh, value for your time. How does that sound? As opposed to just bam, let's hit them in the face with what I want. And honestly, it changes the game because people trust you more um, and you're, you're actually leading them in as opposed to forcing them in. I absolutely love that. I'm uh, I'm already thinking about how I can um, implement that into training with the team because I I couldn't agree more and it's 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 such a sign of confidence knowing your staff and like the tone of it is just so naturally confident um, and I think certainly like obviously uh, from an AE standpoint I think it's important but but leading the, the SDR team I think we could um, we could certainly use that on our cold calls moving forward. Alex, thanks so much for your time today. Um, Obviously, a lot of the questions I asked today were on the back of any LinkedIn posts. Um, if anybody did want to find you on LinkedIn, is it just Alex Ollie? Is there is there other anywhere else they can find you? I think it's just LinkedIn. Search Alex Ollie. I think I'm also listed as the mailman for some reason. Okay. So, uh, so just search for that on LinkedIn cool. um, and, and you can find me there. Love it. Thank you so much again. Um, Mate, thanks for pleasure. Your time, and thank you everybody tuning in today. Um, and we'll see you next time.